Closer, mixed in with it. Hummels, and just look at, look at this again. Kadira plays it wide, Ozil. Kadira again, 5-0. This is utterly beyond belief. You know, each week when we're getting ready to to do this podcast, I think of something to say in this spot, some something to open the show with. And I had planned on talking about rock stars and how cool they are and setting up why the former drummer from Our Lady Peace is on next week instead of this week when I thought. Okay. But it's impossible to talk about anything right now other than the disbelief of me sitting in my living room for the first nine minutes of the Brazil-Germany game seeing Germany's first goal, coming into the room, doing about a 25-minute interview that you're going to hear later with Robert Klemko from the Monday Morning Quarterback, going back out and seeing that it was 5 nothing Germany. Yeah. I mean, even if you're not a soccer fan, like the first thing people will pick on is, oh, wow, two goals were scored. It was an offensive explosion or whatever. Like, So 5 nothing is unfathomable. I mean, that would be crazy in a – in a hockey game for a five nothing game in this type of uh, would, setting, would you be more shocked that Germany went up five nothing in the first half of this game, or if Brazil won six five or five five with a win in penalties? I think definitely more shocked. I think that if they came back, uh, especially because of the way you have to play. If yeah, Germany just plays eleven back, they don't even go into the offensive part of the field now, right? right? And even with 11 back, Germany or Brazil is going to be pushing 11 forward. So you're going to give up transition. You're going to give up a lot. I mean, right. I wouldn't be surprised if this game ends up seven nothing or something because of the way they have to play. Unless, of course, Brazil just packs it in. Some of the tweets have been great, like comparing it to football. It's the equivalent of a 78 to nothing score at halftime in the <laughs> Super Bowl. Someone tweeted that. Yeah, yeah, just stunning and. Welcome to the show. It's season four, episode 20, July 8th, 2014, our second show since we've been back from Christmas break. We had a really nice show last week. We had Ben Ryder in, although we did have a little bit of technical difficulties with that interview because we had unbelievable weather here that day, and my internet was kind of coming in and coming out. Today, we was looking pretty close and to that. Today, I was nervous. I was nervous all day. Yeah. Uh, Blake J. Harris was also on a great interview uh, about his book of the month. Uh, Don even did some interviewing last week, which was big. I did, yeah. When was the last time you did an interview before that? Did you think about that at all? I didn't really. Uh, my guess would have been, if I just had to guess the name, it would be Damashek Damashek sometime, yeah. 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 And then we have Michael Beller on, who is uh, the fantasy writer for Sports Illustrated. Well, that's not true. I was here for an inter- like as far as actually contributing. You listen to them sometimes. Yeah, You'll yeah. be sitting there with the headphones on, but you won't get into it sometimes. Right. Yeah, obviously, we- you can. You have a green light to talk anytime you're in front of the mic. We but- had a book guy, I think, uh, most recently that I, was, that I listened to. But, yeah, that's probably the first one I participated in, in quite a while. Well, that was last week's show, Ryder, Harris, and Bauer, and you can find that on our website, www.sports-casters.com. And let me know if you're having any problems because we did have an issue where we put the podcast up and our feed that the various services used to get our podcast had the same episode as the last two. And when Don fixed it, 
for some reason with Stitcher specifically, if you had already started playing it as when it was incorrect, it won't fix itself. Really? And I emailed Stitcher to see if there was anything I could do about it, and the person I emailed doesn't work there anymore. <laughs> so I need to make a new connection. So specifically, if they started playing right when it was wrong, it just won't acknowledge that. Huh. But if you never played it, it plays the right one. Well, here's what I would guess you can do. Um, I have an Android. I'm not sure how it works on. Uh, it's fine on iTunes. Okay, so if you so have right, you Apple, probably wouldn't be using. You Stitcher. probably can just use the the iPod. What I, I would probably iTunes. go in is in the manage apps thing and clear all the data, and then. So when you go to play it again, it, it shouldn't know where you were or what you've ever listened to. I, I would imagine that would be the issue. Right. So sorry about that. We fixed it within six or seven hours of knowing about it because yeah, you had I'm it a, fixed right away in the morning. I'm a dope. I, uh, there's two spots you have to correct the file name, and I only did it in one. So it was a real easy fix, but unfortunately it does cause some screw-ups. I know sometimes even with iTunes it can take some time for whatever reason before it notices right. it. But anything like that, please let us know uh, if you're having any issues. Uh, today on the show, we have a great show. Robert Klemko from the Monday Morning QB is on. We're going to talk about some of the things that have been going on in football uh, in the last couple of weeks. Also, Dan Levy, whose name I always get wrong. It is Levy. It is Levy. Here's the problem. Okay, It's spelled L-E-V-Y. Okay. Okay, Jane Levy, who is on our show, is spelled L-E-A-V-Y. So to me, there's no way that L-E-V-Y and L-E-A-V-Y are the same. So I think, oh, Jane is Levy, so Dan must be Levy. You said he is Levy. He is. Okay. So Marv Levy is also L-E-V-Y. It is. Okay. Marv Levy's middle name is Dan. I'm screwing myself up. Dan and Jane are the same. They're both Levy. No. They're both Levy. Levy. Okay. And the problem is that Dan and Jane are the same as well, but they're spelled differently. See, I confused myself just saying all that. Gotcha. Dan and Jane have the same name, Levy, but it's spelled differently. I see. And Dan's is spelled like Levy to me because he doesn't have the A like Jane's does. So Jane is a Levy. Yes. Oh, okay. I I think I've screwed that up more than screwing up Dan's. Marv Levy's middle name, by the way, is Dan. Oh, so <laughs> Marvin Daniel well, Levy. Whatever. I'm an idiot too because I just screw this up on this guy every time. In the actual interview, I only screwed it up once the first time, and then he mocked me, and I mocked myself with him <laughs> to make it less awkward, and uh, that's that. So Dan Levy will be on the show. Right, and so is Robert Klenko. We mentioned that. We were supposed to have Jeremy Taggart on the show today who used to be in a rock band called Our Lady Peace who had – Huge success in Canada, middling success in the United States. They did an MTV video or two. Yeah, they, they had a Bob Rock album in there, which I'm really interested to talk about what his opinion on that was and how the man changed when Bob Rock came in. He left Our Lady Peace last week, which to me, Our Lady Peace uh, le- uh, guitar player walk named Mike Turner. And my theory, which we'll ask Jeremy about, is that they kicked him out because he was ugly. And they got a younger, hipper guy in to be on MTV. <laughs> I'm almost positive I'm right. Wow. Jeremy might not be willing to say that or might tell me I'm dead wrong. We'll find out. That was, I mean, there's a lot of ugly guitar players. Right. And, and to me, the credibility of the band mostly left with 
Mike Turner. All the crowd ability is gone with Jeremy Taggart. Hmm. And I'm really excited to have him on because he's a real great drummer. He joined LADP at 17. Wow. He was 17 when they made their album Navid. And the funny thing about Rockstars is he's supposed to be on today, which I took up, and he DMs me on Twitter and is like, look, I'm a total shit show over here today. Can we record <laughs> later in the week? And I just laughed and was like, of course. Yeah. So I'll record that later in the week and we'll have it on next week. Also, I'm almost positive we're going to have John Wertheim on next week, who's an editor at SI and has spent the last couple of weeks in England for Wimbledon. Here's the thing, though. He said, absolutely, call me on my cell. I guarantee it that I'm going to call him a few times on his salaries and be like, no, I'm busy right now. Yeah. Because that's just so – he's the editor. How do I know when to call him? Right. <laughs> I, I would have loved for him to say, call me Tuesday at 5 o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. as opposed to, yeah, just call me. Right. Right. It's great that he looks at us like that. And he's like the tennis guy. Right. He's, and he writes amazing stuff. His 50 thoughts on Wimbledon, col- Wimbledon column is one of the best things that is written on the internet every year. Is it out yet? Yeah, it's out. Oh, I haven't checked it out. Uh, but um, So he should be on next week, and Ian Rappaport also should be on next week. Ian Rappaport shipped me to PR, though. He did. He did. I text him. We've had him before, haven't several we? Several times. I thought so. And it's, I always either email him or text him, and he texts me back, and he's like, yeah, I'll come on, but you have to clear it through my PR guy at the NFL. And I'm like, oh, boy. <laughs> PR guy at the NFL is great so far. Really yeah. nice guy. He's been emailing me back right away. So all those three things should happen next week. Anyway, this is a way too long of an open. Let's get started with three things. Let's play a game. All right. Mm-hmm. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> This whole Levy Levy thing has me rattled right now. <laughs> like I'm questioning myself. Like, what's Jane's name? I want to say it's Jane Levy. Yeah, I don't know where you'd look that up or anything either, other than talking to him. It's a total just mind f. Yep. You know what I mean? I know their names, but I'm just so far into the mind fuck right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, first thing today: World Cup. There is three and a half matches left to be played, and it looks like Brazil only has half a match left as they are getting destroyed, as we mentioned off the top, 5 nothing to Germany as we record this. Yeah, in the 62nd minute right now. Germany's finally going to cash in one of these trips to the semis. They've been in the last four semifinals and haven't been able to win one. They're going to at least get to play for a chance to win one on Sunday. They will play the Netherlands or Argentina. Netherlands is widely considered the greatest team in the history of World Cup soccer to never win a World Cup. They'll have their chance against arguably the greatest player in the world right now in Lionel Messi. So what would you rather see? Would you rather see the best player in the world with Argentina, the last South American team left in the South American World Cup, take their best shot at Germany? who has now blown out Brazil and Portugal, two top 10 FIFA teams going into this? Or would you rather see two European teams battle it out on Sunday? I guess whatever's going to resemble this game the least. (laughs) Right. Uh, I mean, both teams are going to score five goals. That's one thing. But uh, 
Boy, Brazil looked demoralized. Uh, they looked like we we were watching the highlights because, like you said, you were recording when they were on, and they were toying with them. Germany was toying with Brazil, Just and uh, kicking it back and forth in the box. Yeah, it was it was ugly. Brazil clearly had quit. Yeah, yeah. It sure seems that way. Uh, so yeah, whatever the best game is, I, I don't have a rooting interest. I don't. For a guy that's played soccer for a long time, I, I don't know the you know, history enough. I would love to see a team like the Netherlands not have to have that label anymore as sure. the best team to not win one. But I would also love to see one of the greatest athletes in the world on its one of its grandest stages. You know, the thought of seeing Messi in a World Cup final. You know, that's the thing about Argentina. They're a soccer power, but it seems like they only win them when they have their name players like Maradona won one in 86 you know that's their huge year the hand of God goal against England right um but and I'd love to see Messi on that stage but like you said really I'm in it for a good game right a good final yeah yeah who it is doesn't matter it's not Italy and Brazil isn't going to get any further ahead of Italy anymore so I really don't have any rooting interest. Going in, I wanted Italy to win, and if they didn't, I didn't want Brazil to win because I didn't want them to get another World Cup ahead of us. Oh, okay. So it's five to four all the <laughs> time. Brazil has five, Italy has four. You know, and th- the only difference right now is penalties in 1994. Brazil okay. beat us in penalties in 94. Otherwise, we'd have five and they'd have four. Yeah, I think that's safe. It's safe yeah, for this year right anyway. now. Yeah. Although Italy's got a lot of work to do to keep their streak of one final in 12 years going in four years from now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Since the start of the World Cup, Italy's played in a final every 12 years. They've not made it past the group stage in the two World Cups since they won in 2006. Wow. So they need to regroup in the next four years here. And they're going to have to play the next World Cup without the two biggest players on the championship team in Pirlo and Buffon. But... All right, second thing. Don and I are going to share this as well. Just kind of a catch-all football thing. There's been some big football things that have happened. The first thing happened actually on what now is no longer arguably the worst day on the calendar for the city of Buffalo and sports, and that's July 1st, 2007. We lost both of our beloved captains in the span of a couple of hours for our hockey team. And last week on July 1st, just a few hours after recording this (laughs) podcast, came the news that Kiko Alonso tore his ACL Don, as a Bills fan, where were you when you heard the news, and what was your first reaction? I think it, I think the news came out fairly early in the morning, so I was probably on the way to work. Oh, okay, because I had heard it that on Tuesday night after you had left. It well, it was yeah, ambiguous the at the time, was, right? Right, it wasn't for sure that it was a torn ACL. Okay, no, you're right. Yeah, you probably told me first. That's right. So I heard from you that night, and then driving into work, the news was confirmed. Schefter was ACL, saying he's right. done. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Uh, I don't know. I don't, it, the worst part about it is he's a guy that literally played every defensive snap on the team last year. So that's where it hurts you the most. Uh, it's a quarterback league, though, and if Manuel right. isn't good, it doesn't it's matter anyway. It's still about solidifying that position. Yeah, so I... On the one hand, if their goal was to go into the season with what should be a pretty good defense and just you're going to have manual just hope to not make mistakes, that's not the way I would have wanted done it, but that takes a hit, obviously, with your arguably one of your best defensive players out. Um, I don't know. I hope they go at it now and think, okay, maybe we're going to have to come up with a little 
couple more plays on offense over the course of the year, and they just let Manuel go. I mean, they got him a weapon. I don't know. If my team – I don't know how to quantify the importance of any position in football other than quarterback. I mean, if anyone other than Drew Brees goes down, are you totally panicked? I mean, maybe a Jimmy Graham because of how many balls he catches. No, Brees is the guy. Right. Brees is the guy you can't lose. But, I mean, if you're – even in Seattle, they have a great defense. Uh, they could lose Earl Thomas. Right, yeah. They so, could do it. They wouldn't want to do it, right. but they could. So that's where I'm at with it. I think it's a bummer. It's a bummer to not see him even play it down and go down like this. Like My two thoughts on it were, one, we've talked on this show about how difficult the draft has been for the Bills during the playoff drought. And how Jarris Bird was the first player in like 15 years that they drafted who made the Pro Bowl at his position. Right. There were other guys like Jason, Jason Peters, Peters who right. they drafted as a tight end and did eventually make it as a left tackle. But this was an example of just absolutely killing a pick. Yep. And doing it not in the first round, fourth overall or something like that. Right. But in the second round and killing it, nailing it. The other thing is... This was going to be a transition year anyway, and the most important thing for the Bills this year is figuring out exactly what they have in EJ Manuel, and this doesn't change that for them. No, right. They can still find out. If EJ Manuel tore his ACL, it'd be so much worse, not because only because you lose your quarterback, but it'd be another year where you wouldn't know what you have in that guy. Right, and they gave up the first-round pick the following year, so you can't even correct right. it if you're worried about it. The other thing is that for the Bills is that yeah, it's a bummer, but if this is a one-calendar-year injury, he's still healthy again July 1st next year. Right. So you'd almost rather it happen now than week three or week four or something like that. Sure, especially if they're going to be bad or just average again next year. Right. So the timing of it, it, it hurts. It hurts. And it's they're the third team already who've had this happen to their most important linebacker. Yeah, Dallas, Dallas lost Sean Lee, and Atlanta lost uh, Witherspoon. Right. So that's three linebacker, three teams already who are doing with a linebacker before training camp even starts. But they have plenty of time for plan B, whatever that is. And this league is all about plan B, right? It's the next man up. Yeah, and Whaley, if he's good at anything, it seems to be finding talent. Like he has been fairly good at that. So the other big thing that happened in the league this week is the arbitrator ruled in favor of the Saints, essentially, and against Jimmy Graham and ruled that Jimmy Graham is a tight end for franchise purposes, which means if they can't work out a long-term deal, he'd be paid $7 million as opposed to twelve. My guess is they have to work out a long-term deal. Jimmy Graham doesn't want to play this year for $7 million on a one-year deal. Football's too unpredictable. He's going to make in the $10 million range anyway, would be my guess. And this was never about that. This was about trying to set precedent going forward in the league for this position and how this position would be quantified. Yeah, and there's a lot of jokes about uh, how it all came down to his Twitter bio. That was just one of several, several factors. Right, most of them being like that he played within four yards of the offensive line, something like 58% of it, something crazy. But uh, there were some pretty funny... Player reaction, right? To Jordan it. Cameron switches to pass catcher. Pro Bowl pass catcher. Uh, T.J. Lang, a guard for the Packers, had his Twitter bio say that he's an NFL QB and an expert walker. He also stated that he's the best corner in the NFL. Here, that that's kind of a joke, the whole Twitter thing. But if you're going to legally fight that you're a wide receiver, you shouldn't publicly say that you're a tight end, right? Sure. 
Right. I mean, I know it's all a little silly that a $5 million decision like that could be in part based on social media. But if you're going to argue in front of a court or an arbitrator, I guess is in a court, right. whatever, that you are something you probably shouldn't have in your Twitter bio that you're exactly what you're saying you're not. Right. That and was a fact, poor it was a poor job by Team Graham. He was drafted as a tight end. He, he goes to tight end meetings as a tight end. He accepts the position as tight end when he goes to the Pro Bowl. Right. So I mean I'll talk about the importance of all star games and Pro Bowls in my one last thing later. But and I imagine that Clemco is gonna give us more on this too later. Right. Yeah. I imagine that's something uh six nothing Germany now. Oh. Uh I imagine that's something that when he goes into this meeting, he's going to say, look, I made the Pro Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, And he made it as a tight end. Maybe he would have made it as a wide receiver if he was a wide receiver too, but it's a little easier to make it as, as a tight end for him uh, since he's clearly the best at that position. I don't want to go into it too much, but there's a picture floating around of Johnny Manziel with a rolled, rolled up, up bill. bill. Yeah. Listen, Cleveland, and that's another thing, Cleveland is kind of the third story I'd written down between Manziel and Josh Gordon being arrested over 4th of July in North Carolina. And he was already facing a year-long He's going to lose that appeal. He's going to miss this year. That's going to be the shortest appeal hearing of all time. He's got a problem. What an absolute waste. Yeah, yeah, he needs help. He's only 25 years old. There's still time to change. Came into the league with problems. He's problems. the one who fell asleep at Taco Bell. Remember we were talking about it on this show not too long ago, how he fell asleep. In Taco Bell, and him and his buddy got arrested for having weed on him there. Right. At Baylor, when he was at Baylor, I think. Lost four games last year mm -hmm. The suspension. Yeah, I mean. That got just... reduced to two, I think. He was suspended four, and I think they did reduce it to two. Oh, right. It was the other guy, uh, the other wide receiver that is going to miss this whole year, I think. The but, Jags receiver. Yeah, uh, Justin Blackman. Yeah. Yeah, but it's just too bad. And Cleveland is in disarray. In Cleveland, they get one step forward. They're almost like the, the Bills in Cleveland are almost like mirror images. It's like you get one step forward and something bizarre happens and you get. I saw in the, NF back. the NFL subreddit, I may have already said this on here because this, the Josh Gordon original news happened a while ago. But uh, they had the great draft, it seemed like. They traded back, traded back, still got Manziel. Uh, just an awesome draft. So they're probably high as a kite in Cleveland. Then the next day they get the Josh Gordon news about him possibly missing the entire season. And like the number one comment on that story in Reddit was something like, that is the most Cleveland thing to ever happen. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I feel for him as a Bills fan because that's how it feels here sometimes too. But We're going to talk about a lot of this stuff with Robert Klemko after three things. One last thing about football before we move on, kind of a just a goofy thing that I saw happen. We, you know this big debate about the Redskins and their name, right? Yeah, yeah. It's been everywhere. Sure. Um, one of the newspapers ran a bunch of different pictures of people and their opinions. And this one guy who went to, I think, the university, it said like student, University of Illinois, or maybe it was Indiana, whatever. Okay. And he said, I think they should keep the name, but they should change the logo to a potato. Which I guess is some kind of classless joke. Someone would have to explain it to me. I don't get it. What? Say it again? They should keep the name as Redskins, but they should change their logo to a potato. I guess because potatoes have red skin. Oh, I see. I, okay, I, I did need it explained. Yes. Yeah. So, Got it. turned out that guy was a wanted fugitive. For skipping bail on a DUI charge, <laughs> and the police saw it in the paper and went and arrested him at school. Yeah, I I did hear about uh, 
I thought that was funny. This guy doing a man on the street interview. What an idiot. Yeah. It's a potato logo. <laughs> Get it? Potato. You, <laughs> could, you couldn't help. Get that joke out to the right. world. All right. My third thing. Uh, Wimbledon was uh, last week. It finished on Sunday with a classic match between Federer and Nadal. Yeah, I caught some of it. It was uh, good. Nadal was up 5-2 in the fourth. Uh, had match point twice, I think, really? in that game. Federer fought all the way back, won the fourth set, and ended up losing the fifth set. Uh, Federer is an unbelievable champion. He's one of the greats of all time. And that was a huge win for, for Djokovic to uh, beat a champion like that. He's now a multi-time winner at Wimbledon, and he's, he's going to be one of the best ever as well. Uh, but I thought it was a great way to end what was a pretty interesting tournament. A Canadian was in the women's final for the first time in 50 years or something, and Canada was going tennis crazy. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't mean this as a knock on Canada, but I take it she did not win. She did not win. Because it got quiet. Yep. <laughs> I mean, she didn't win. Living this close to Canada, yes. my Twitter feed was all about, I can't even remember her name now, I feel bad, because it's not a slight on her, but... uh it was all about her for that day, and it was on Canada Day or something like that, right? Like that she. It very well could have advanced been. Or yeah, something. the semifinals I right. believe was on Canada Day. But then all of a sudden, I didn't hear anything about this poor girl, so I'm like thinking to myself, "Yeah, she probably did not win." She did not win, and Djokovic did win. There was no Americans even at when we were doing the podcast last week. All Americans right, had been yeah. gone. There was a bizarre thing with Serena Williams. And I'm not going to go too far in any of this because we should, like I said off the top, have Talk worth time yeah. on your next week. And I do have a lot of SI things, his editor role that I'm going to want to talk to him about. But we'll absolutely talk tennis with him as well. And as I said, his 50, 50 things about Wimbledon column that's on SI.com is a much must read for anyone who's into tennis. All right, last thing this week, uh, or my third thing this week, the NBA free agency started, and it's really all about two people. Uh, I mean, it's really about LeBron, and then wherever Carmelo Anthony ends up. And I guess you could throw Bosch in there, uh, too, who's reportedly might take a league max. And Wade is going to really get burned. Wade is going to regret yeah. opting out, huh? Because he, I said, you know what, I'm not what... a basketball guy, and as soon as I saw that he opted out, I'm thinking, what is he doing? He was terrible. I think he thought he was doing it to win another championship, to keep the band together type of a thing. And I think what's going to happen is the band's not going to stay together, and he's going to be a $10 million player, if that. And he had, I think, three years at $20 million left on his deal or something like that. Wow. They, they would have been terrible, too. I mean, the Heat are probably ecstatic that he opted out, considering they might lose the other two. Oh, I'm sure they're ecstatic now. Um, yeah, so LeBron... I think it's funny. Like, anytime you hear, like, he has a decision to make. And anytime you hear that word, I mean, that's just the way to describe it. He's got to make a decision. But, like, his camp has to cringe anytime they hear, like, right. that he has a They've, decision. His, his rep has, like, we've even talked about in this podcast about how we've warmed to LeBron since that day. Yeah. Like, if that day was rock bottom for him, his time in Miami really has. I, at least, I can't speak for you, but I think we are on the same page with this. Yeah, we've cheer, warmed to him. him. Sure. We've warmed to him. He's done great things. There's a story that we've talked about, about something he did for the troops, where the, the troops wanted to take a picture with him, and the Heat said no, and he said, what do you mean no? Of course we'll take the picture. Um, I wasn't. I didn't necessarily 100% agree with his stand on the Trevon thing, but I love that he was willing to take a stand, something that Michael Jordan would have never done. Sure. You know, so I totally appreciated that about him. And, yeah, he's been trying to distance himself for that. 
But and the biggest rumor is that he may go back to if Cleveland. If the decision this time is that he goes back to Cleveland, that would certainly... There's pretty much zero chance he holds a... Someone said, now trending in Cleveland, how do you unburn a jersey? <laughs> Did you hear, uh, I think the MGM said that they're pretty nervous that they could... Uh, I believe Cleveland was like a 60-1. to 1. It's worse. I saw someone who had a ticket six hundred to one for five thousand dollars that wow. they would win the next NBA wow. championship. So if he and up- on their team next year, they could have Wiggins, right, Irving, right. and James, right, right. Irving was the one that was a rookie last year, right? Who just signed year. the max? Oh no, I'm thinking Wiggins. Then it was the one that didn't Wiggins have a great didn't season. have as good of a season in college as we thought, but okay, he's still right. the first overall pick in the draft. Sure, and the East. I mean, really, it's the East is fairly weak, and it's going right. to come down to can they beat a Western team in a best of seven series? And yeah. you can hedge by then anyway. Sure, if you get to the finals and Cleveland's in it, you, you you're going to clean the casino out to some level, right? Especially if you have that. that bet where you're going to. You don't even have to hedge it until the deciding game. It was six hundred to one, so he stands to win. I think it was even five thousand, five thousand bucks at about six or five hundred to one. I saw that's that about someone tweeted the ticket. So that's about three million dollars. $300,000? I'm, I'm out on the math. Yeah, I, it's too many zeros. But either way, yeah, you just bet 20000 or something that the other team wins. <laughs> like, right. Because even if you... Ugh. Yeah, brutal. I've heard the lines come down to like 30 to 1 now. Yeah, I'm sure it's come way down. <laughs> yeah, so, still, uh, I'm not a betting guy, but 20 bucks, three, like Yeah. The East is so weak. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with uh, NBA free agency. And... Does and when something where, happens, we'll get Lee on the phone. I'm, I'm sure it matters where Carmelo goes, but does it matter? I mean... Oh, it's completely secondary. Yeah. And I still find it hard to believe that he would leave that much money on the table in New York. Yeah. I don't know. But anyway. All right. That's three things for today. This is what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with Robert Klemko. Then we're going to hold off on announcing the book club book of the year until next week. And instead, we're going to do a five on fantasy that we crowdsourced some different rules and tweaks to the game of fantasy with football the help of- with the help of one of my friends. I'll set it all up in a minute Okay. when we get to that on five on fantasy. That'll be after Clemco. Then we'll do our interview with Dan from Bleacher Report. And then we will close off with one last thing, which we got some thoughts on Derek Jeter and some thoughts on Oklahoma. There's a song or a show called Octonauts that my daughter watches and at the end of the show they have a creature report and there's like a little song that goes with it so now every time i hear bleacher report i start thinking of the creature report song that but interesting yeah not really no No. (laughs) all right we'll be right back Our next guest is from Chicago, Illinois, and is a graduate of the University of Maryland. He was an NFL reporter for the USA Today before being handpicked by Peter King to be a staff writer for the Monday Morning QB. Since starring at MMQB last summer, he has written eloquently about the issue of race, diversity in football, and brings the perspective of being a former college football player. He is making his second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Robert Klumko. What's going on, Robert? Not too much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, really appreciate it. It's glad to glad to have a guy who works hard on the Fourth of July on the podcast. You know what I mean? Was it sixty five hundred <laughs> words you posted that day? Oh well, yeah. We um, 
we ran, we're running a series of stories this week on the symposium, and, and, and that was part of that. I, I really shouldn't brag about, you know, when I do and don't work on Twitter. I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, I wanted to ask you about the summer. Uh, I think at the NFL Network they call it the non-playing season. Uh, mm-hmm. You guys got started pretty close to the playing season last year. I got to think that your first anniversary, did it just pass? or It's right around this time, right? Yeah, it's, um, it, I think it actually just passed maybe a month ago. Um, but it was it was actually a really cool situation. We, we went and visited an NFL team and kind of talked to, with them uh, off-the-record stuff uh, over the course of like a two-day visit in May. And then that kind of um, gave us an idea for what kind of stories we wanted to execute. And then we had the whole rest of the summer to do all the stories. So everything we had those first 10 days was was, you know, kind of the best that we could offer. Well, obviously this year you've had the whole entire offseason to run the site, and even though everyone says there's no offseason in the NFL anymore, which is true to a large degree, it, it, you do have to get creative, and you guys have done some things like the NFL 95, you guys have looked at Canada. What do you think about the way that you guys have handled the the non-playing season this year? That's interesting. Um, these projects that we do, we're never exactly sure how they're going to turn out. Um, I, I was of the opinion that Canada Week was going to bomb and nobody would read it. Uh, but it turns out there's a whole bunch of Canadians who watch the CFL and read about it, if you can believe that. So I, I think that everything that we're doing is pretty new and um, unpredictable even to us, and that's what makes it fun, some of these stories. Uh, on the flip side, during the season, you know, when things get stale, we, we try to do Jaguars Week, and uh, there's way more people who watch the CFL than the Jaguars. <laughs> so we're kind of still figuring out what works and what doesn't in this format. Can you think of a specific story that you that you wrote that you didn't have expectations for that kind of blew up a little bit? Yeah, um, you know, it's easier for me to think of stories I thought were going to do well and didn't. <laughs> but uh, maybe something that blew up that this summer that I didn't think would would be like Russell Allen, um, the revelation that he had a stroke in a Week 15 game. And uh, that was the reason he had to retire. I didn't think that it would be a huge deal because he was kind of an anonymous player um, on a poor team. But uh, I think the idea that somebody could die on an NFL field is pretty foreign to people. And, and that's, you know, is very well could have happened with Russell. So that's one story I thought wouldn't do well but did. Interesting. You know, you guys are, are writing, like you said, part one of your story about the NFL Symposium. I think went up today. And you said later in the week there's going to be a part two. And it, as I was looking through it, it got me thinking about one of the big things that's going around these last couple of days. The whole idea of Johnny Manziel and this kind of rolled up dollar bill or whatever. Um, but it just got me thinking about not so much the dollar bill, but the issue of maturity. And I think Les Miles actually has a really interesting quote. Something about how he'll throw the ball. I don't want to misquote him. I don't know if he used the word dummy or something. He said he'd throw the ball to one, he'd hand the ball to one, but he wouldn't snap it to one. Do you think the issue mm-hmm. of maturity is, is really what we're talking about with Johnny Manziel and not necessarily the actual specific things, that it's actually a bigger p- picture maturity issue and kind of tying it in with what the the message at the NFL is trying to deliver at the symposium? Yeah. I think it's interesting that, that he would be photographed with a rolled-up dollar bill, which I, I think both of us can surmise what you might use that for, uh, just a few days after the AFC Symposium ended. 
uh, in which, you know, you have uh, almost a whole day dedicated to drug abuse and addiction and DUI prevention. Um, it, it smacks of a guy who's kind of throwing caution to the wind. Um, on the flip side of it, you don't, you're not hearing anything out of Cleveland that says that he's not doing the work when he's in the building. And they've had ample time uh, to work with him there. So I think he's one of those guys that, you know, burns again with both ends. And maybe in a few years he'll look back and say, gosh, I wish I could have done that differently. Um, but I think that it, it, provided he doesn't fail any drug tests and he goes in there and wins a starting job and wins a few games, I mean, this is all going to be kind of moot, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, I do, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just, like I said, I, I don't get too bogged down in the like sensational in it, sensationalism of some of the things that are reported. And I do agree with some of the things he said, like, you know, hey, I'm a 21-year-old kid and I do my work and then I go out just like everyone else. But I think there is the issue of he's not like everyone else. Not everyone else is one of the 32 guys picked to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I think you need... To be successful at that, you need to have the respect of the huddle, and I don't know if immature players necessarily can demand that respect. Yeah, I think the, the one place that he's going to run into problem with when you talk about image and perception is all of the local and national media who go to Cleveland Browns camp in week one, week two, week three, they're going to be asking about other players about Johnny Manziel, and that gets really old. So as long as he keeps giving the media material... Um, I, I think players, it, it, especially if they're losing games and he's not contributing or he's contributing poorly, players will get sick of that. And, and in a strong locker room, they'll sit him down. The Ravens, for instance, uh, Green Bay Packers, the veterans will sit him down and say, look, this isn't going to fly anymore. Now, I don't know if that kind of atmosphere exists in Cleveland. Well, we can almost assume it doesn't if we're looking into the Josh Gordon situation at all. Uh, that's not even fair, but Josh Gordon isn't doing the Browns or Johnny Manziel any favors. Right. right. No, I, and, and I think it's, um, it speaks to kind of the importance of having veteran leadership on a football team to where guys are being held accountable, not just by the law and the league, which ought to be enough, um, but by the older players in the locker room who want to win a Super Bowl. That uh, doesn't seem to be a very Browns mentality right now. Yeah. You know, I'm really interested to get your perspective on Jimmy Graham and the the decision that the arbiter made. One, were you surprised the way he went? And B, if you were the arbiter, how do you think you would have ruled? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's pretty clear to me if a guy lines up most of the time at wide receiver uh, more than tight end that he's a wide receiver if he wants to be. Um, the, the, the names of the, of the positions on the roster on NFL.com means so much less than what actually happens on the field, I mean, in my opinion. Um, I think it's a mistake to, to label him a tight end. Um, I think that now that they have, with that $7 million franchise tag, if he doesn't sign it, it is enticing to teams to give up the picks necessary um, to get him. So that's something the Saints have to think about as they continue to negotiate in these next couple weeks. Long term, I, I, I feel like if I'm a receiving tight end in college football or any kind of tight end, uh, I'm going to my head coach and asking him to list me as a wide receiver because, you know, the NFL has shown that wide receivers are valued higher than tight ends, which, uh, as the game continues to evolve, makes less and less sense. Um, I think eventually you'll probably see that franchise tag number salary for wide receivers and tight ends become uh, the same as fewer and fewer blocking tight ends exist. You know, 
I'm a big Saints fan. I've been since I was seven years old, and I've watched every snap that Jimmy Graham has had in the NFL. And I just don't know if he's not a tight end. I guess I just don't know who is the tight end on the team. And if you look at the other tight ends on the team, Josh Hill and um, Ben Watson, when Jimmy Graham comes off the field, uh, Watson and Hill often do similar things, maybe not as effectively that Jimmy Graham does. So I just... I just don't I don't know. I I I think ultimately Jimmy Graham is a ten million dollar plus player anyway, and they were always going to have to pay him that much. Seven million dollars isn't a realistic salary for him. But I just wonder if this is this was more of a bigger thing than Jimmy Graham. I wonder if this was more about the position going forward in the league and the way because these players they have to try to get every dollar they can get in the NFL because of the lack of guaranteed contracts and the way that the second you're no good to them, you're gone. So I don't blame Jimmy Graham at all, but I just don't know that it would have been the right precedent to set to not call him a tight end. I mean, he's coached by the tight end coach. That's the meetings he goes to. And despite the snaps that he does line up at wide receiver, he does have the other 40% of his snaps in a more traditional place where none of our wide receivers have even one snap in that position. So it's just a little right. devil's advocate. I don't know what you think about it. You know, I, I, I don't agree with the slippery slope idea because I, I don't think you're going to get a bunch of guys who are blocking tight ends or, or line up, uh, you know, in a three-point stand 60% of the time trying to claim that they're wide receivers. Um, to me, if, as an arbitrator, it would be clear-cut. If the guy lines up more in one position than another, regardless of what we've called him for the past few years, uh, consistently over the course of the season – then he's that. Um, I, I think that the 50% cutoff is something that the, a precedent that they should have set that would have simplified this, uh, you know, way more than anything else. Yeah, it's interesting. I thought it was really interesting, too, that they said that a big factor uh, in the decision was how the other teams have covered him. Mm-hmm. And really with the exception of the, the Patriots and um, I don't know why I can't think of his name right now, Tlaib. Uh, generally speaking, he has been covered by safeties and linebackers, which has not worked out very well. So I wonder if this year we'll see him covered more traditionally like a wide receiver would be or if we're going to continue to see teams try to match up with safeties and and linebackers. I think the one thing that a lot of teams are doing, and and I wrote a little bit about this earlier this summer, is looking for that big cover corner. Um, Maybe not necessarily so you can do what the Seahawks do with you know, one on either side and, and play a lot of zone um, and a lot of man with, with a single high safety. Um, but just to have that one guy to cover the, the split out tight end, um, so you have a fast player um, who's also tall enough to go up and, and get a ball with a Jimmy Graham uh, or a Rob Gronkowski. So I, I think you're seeing guys like Pierre Desir, um, who was a small school draft pick this year, Stanley Jean Baptiste out of Nebraska, um, who was a Saints, Saints uh, I, I believe, second or third rounder this year, yeah. getting drafted higher uh, than they would have 10 years ago because everybody's looking for that guy who can cover Jimmy Graham and also run down the field. Right, yeah, that's very interesting. You know, I live in Buffalo, and July 1st is quickly turning into the worst day on the calendar for Buffalo fans. In 2007, uh, our hockey team lost both of our captains in about two hours, Chris Jury and, and Daniel Briere, and it's kind of led to us being in this worst team in sports 
position we're in right now. And this past uh, July 1st came the awful news that Kiko Alonso uh, tore his ACL training and is going to be missed. How big do you think that injury is for a team kind of looking to make the next step and a team that made such a huge effort uh, at the draft to try to put as many pieces in place as possible to end this embarrassing playoff drought? Yeah. Well, it's, it's huge anytime you lose a guy that is you know, smack in the middle of your defense, whether it's a, a nose tackle, a defensive tackle, uh, or an inside linebacker, because if he's a stud the way Kiko Alonso is, you're building the rest of your team around him. You're drafting your other deficiencies uh, and figuring that Kiko is going to make up for whatever you lack in the middle there. Um, so, I, obviously, a team like the Bills um, is going to rebuild in a smart way as opposed to, uh, you know, jumping on the guy that they think is going to take them to the Super Bowl. I don't think the Bills were one or two players away from the Super Bowl. Um, so, yeah, I expect them to have a middling year and with this being a contributing factor. Um, but it doesn't mean that they can't come right back and contend the next year. Right. Yeah, it's just got to be so frustrating for them because, you know, Jairus Bird was the first player that they drafted who made a Pro Bowl at his position in like 15 years. And then mm-hmm. they finally hit with like just absolutely kill a draft pick, a second round pick like Alonzo. And I don't know that I think they. it seems like they did everything they could to try to keep Bird anyway. The rumors in Buffalo are that they almost offered as much as the Saints and he just wasn't going to stay here. But I wonder if they would have tried a little bit harder if they would have known Alonzo was going to be gone. But on the other side of that, going into this year, quarterback is still a huge question. They don't know what they have in manual yet. Right. Uh, and a lot of times guys come back from the ACL stronger. I mean, obviously Adrian Peterson is a, is a big example. But right. uh, Kiko, Kiko Alonzo, you talk to people that know him, you talk to his agent, and you get every indication that um, you know he's going to go 110 150% to try to get it right, uh, but also that they're, they're smart enough that they know that if you try to come back the same year, you're never fully okay. Um, so, you know, as a Browns fan, it is tough. You, you, you don't want to chalk up the season as a loss, but, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that this means they, they can't have a top-five defense in, in 2015. Uh, but like you said, the most important thing is, is to get that quarterback position locked out. Right, figure out what they have with EJ. Sportscasts are here with Robert Klinko from uh, the Monday Morning QB. Right now, we're kind of just about getting past the vacation period for the NFL. We're kind of just getting past the time where things are quiet, where we are kind of obsessing a little bit too much about the small things like every time, uh, you know, Johnny Manziel is a bowel movement or whatever. And we're getting into that, into the meat of it. We're getting ready for training camps and preseason games. And I think it's only eight Sundays left until the, uh, the opening of the actual season for you, for someone who's writing about the league every day right now, what are the things that are starting to turn in your head? What are the stories that you're looking at? What are the things that are interesting you as we're getting ready to move into that next phase of the season? Yeah. Well, it's it's funny you mentioned the bills. Um, you know, we're, we're talking with them about, uh, doing a story on what it's like to move into a training camp, what, what it takes for an NFL team to move uh, from a facility to a camp. So that's one thing I'm looking forward to. Um, and then as the, as training camps get started, I'll be doing a West Coast swing from uh, Seattle and hit all the teams that do it in California, including the 49ers, the Raiders, and the Cowboys, um, and then go down to uh, San Diego uh, for the end of my tour. Um, the most interesting thing to me about 
that trip is, is going to be the Cowboys. Um, every year you wonder if it's their year. And every year at, at the beginning we hypothesize that it is or it isn't. Um, but it's, it's really all up to one guy uh, in Tony Romo. So I think his development over this offseason, especially his relationship uh, with Des Bryant, is going to be a focus of mine uh, on that trip. Yeah, and they're a really interesting team, the way they move their, themselves to California to, to kind of get away from everything. Are you going to be coming out to Rochester to see, see the Bills move? Or? Yes, yes, yeah. I will. Um, you know, provided everything, everything works out. We're, we're still talking about the details, but uh, we, we definitely want to know um, what it's like to move it with an NFL team. Uh, a little disappointed that Kiko's not going to be around, but we'll yeah. make do. Yeah, that's really interesting. The Saints are actually going to West Virginia for a little while this year, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, I think yep. I think mostly to get away from the heat in Louisiana for a couple weeks. But uh, it, it is a really interesting um, how each team kind of plans out their training camp and what the best situation is. Yep. You know, and we get a glimpse at one of them each year through Hard Knocks. And I'm pretty sure Cincinnati just stayed right in their their in their facilities that they are in all year. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the league is sort of shifting away from, um, from going off to a college right. for training camps, but there are teams, like you mentioned, the Saints and, and obviously the Cowboys that stick to it. Um, I think you'll find in talking to guys that most veterans appreciate sticking around the facility, and uh, the rookies are, are you know, kind of okay with being engrossed in that college atmosphere again uh, and just having no distractions as they try to learn the playbook. Um Personally, if I was a coach, I'd want to go somewhere. You know, I'd want the guys fully, uh, you know, to have training camp and, and learning everything fully on their mind, especially if I was a first-year coach. But some of these more established coaches, you know, Marvin Lewis, it makes sense uh, for him to, you know, want to just do it at the facility there. Yeah, it's interesting because they've, they've been on Hard Knocks twice, and I'm, I'm pretty sure the first year they were at, a, like, a college dorm type of uh, venue because I remember the scene of the, the, the bearer of bad news waking DJ Re- Reynolds up at like 5 o'clock in the morning to tell him to get his playbook and get out but then this last time that they were on they've shifted back just into their own facility so Marvin Lewis is an example of a guy who's, who's done both and maybe is settling to staying uh, at home now Yeah, I mean he'd be an interesting guy to talk to about kind of the pros and cons of it um, but I think what, I think Hard Knocks probably shapes everyone's perception of what training camp is like, but it's 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 different in, in different places. Um, certainly, some are more relaxed than others, and, and, and teams with you know older players, veterans, are going to take it easy on their guys, knowing that the preseason is the um, you know most crucial time in terms of injuries and and going into week one healthy. Some teams take it easy, some teams don't. You know, it's so funny. I, I always kind of make fun of myself because every single year I get sucked into overrating the Hard Knocks team. You know, mm-hmm. like every year I, I'm just like, oh, man, that's the team right there, you know. But I know that's not going to happen this year because it's my most hated team in the league is the Hard Knocks team. So I'm probably pretty sure no matter what I'm going to hate, I, I'm, I'm going to like, yep, see, I told you, Atlanta, no good. <laughs> see, it's right there on video. They're no good, those guys. Yep, there it is. But uh, <laughs> So this is going to be the first year. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't rule Atlanta out this season. But oh, I'm ruling them out. I rule them out every season, though. So, I mean, I'm the wrong guy. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm being silly. I'm sure they'll be just fine. Um, and, you know, 
Last year we went in. The Saints went into that opening day game zero and six against them all time opening day. This year we're one and six against them. So I have an added confidence uh, going into the opening day game. But uh, again, Robert Klemko is uh, great to be on with us again. It was almost a little too soon to ask him again. I didn't realize you were on in May. So I'm sorry about that. He's at Robert Klemko on Twitter. There's a great post that went up today on the Monday Morning Quarterback about his first couple of days at the uh, Rookie Symposium. And later in this week, there's going to be a second post. Anything else you want to throw out to everyone about what's going to be going on or where to find things or anything about the Monday Morning Quarterback that I didn't get to? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we had a good first year. We're, we're really excited about it. It's, uh, you can find us at mmqb.si.com. Uh, for those that don't know about it yet, I still find myself introducing myself to players and coaches as a Sports Illustrated writer. I'm kind of wondering if they've heard of MMQB, uh, but most have. Uh, always love the opportunity to, uh, you know, hop on something like this and talk football when uh, there's no real football going on. And uh, hopefully we can do it again later in the season. Yeah. Um, Monday morning QB, just, just something to say, and I, no, nobody – tells me to say this, and SI really in general has always been a huge, everyone who listens knows we're huge, huge SI guys, but every single full-time staffer, you, uh, Jenny, Greg, have been on this podcast since the site is launched. Peter King has been kind enough with his time twice, and we're just small, independent guys. I'm talking to you in my, in my office, you know, just little guys, so you don't have to do it, and we really appreciate it. One last thing I want to ask you real quick because I forgot. Do you play, yeah. do you play fantasy football? You know, I used to, and I think I might get back into it this year. Um, but I kind of got disillusioned with it because of the way I see people play it. They they don't watch the games anymore for the football. They just watch it for their favorite players, uh, or for their fantasy players, rather. But I, I think I'm going to get suckered back into it this year. Yeah, you know, I've had uh, an interesting couple of years with it just because when it was in the, the shadows a little bit more, I think I, I enjoyed it more, but now that it's just, yeah. you know, every when I wake up on Sunday, the most important thing to me is what happens in the Saints game. And yeah. I have been just flooded with text messages. Why isn't Darren Sproles getting any catches today? Like, I don't know. You know, we're winning 31 to 14. He's got six catches. How many did you want today? You know, and that stuff <laughs> just dry, drives me nuts. And And then when you get in these positions where, you know, you're you're watching. I'm watching the Saints game, and unfortunately, I drafted Tom Brady, and you know he's coming down the field on in the last minute and about to send me to my bedroom for the next five days in hiding because of a last second touchdown that kept us from six and zero. Oh, you know those kind of dilemmas. But I think I'm like you. I used to be really into it. I've been kind, of, but I can't break away totally because it it is too much fun. The drafting part is way too much fun for me to ever just turn my back on it. But I was just—I'm yeah. always curious to see who plays and who doesn't. Thank you. Yeah, for the all- big dilemma I always find myself in is uh, I end up drafting the guys that I just like personally and have interviewed oh. and who were good interviews. Oh, I do it too. And those, are, and those aren't always the best football players, so I, I very rarely win that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm a total homer. I'm a huge Peterson guy because I'm—I'm a big one of my friends played at OU and he grew up down the street from me, so I've been a big OU guy ever since and. Nobody represents what I love about OU more than Adrian. You know what I mean? And like, oh, yep. I have the first pick, and I I wouldn't even consider anything else. And not even that that yep. most people are going to pick him or McCoy or Charles or something like that number one anyway. So it's not like it's crazy. But I'm a total homer too. I'm, I have three Saints every year. Like I drafted Kenny Stills in every league towards the end last year. Like I'm a total homer too. So might hold me back a little bit, but yeah. Besides the point. 
<laughs> Robert, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, tracking you down, and maybe we'll have to say hello at, uh, at in Rochester if you guys make it down. Definitely. And right around week eight, I want to know how your fantasy team's doing. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be you'll be wondering for sure. <laughs> All, right. All right, man. Thank you. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Steven Jackson, Miles Austin, Leonette Ocho Cinco, TJ Pushmanzada. I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right, we are back with some fantasy football talk. Second week in a row for Five on Fantasy. First week with the actual... Five on Fantasy Music, which we were not prepared to use last week because I think you forgot your laptop or something. I did, brilliantly. Uh, huge thanks to uh, Robert Klemko for being on the podcast today, uh, who is anxiously awaiting me messaging him on week eight to tell him how my fantasy teams are doing. <laughs> I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's going to be waiting with bated breath to find out. Oh, yeah. Uh, we wanted to do Five on Fantasy today because, well, I actually thought of this over 4th of July. So I'm in this league, and I know we've talked about it before, that has a rookie draft. Mm-hmm. And in the rookie draft, we've now decided that the teams who don't make the playoffs play essentially a toilet bowl for the first pick in the rookie draft. Okay. Okay. I won that last year. Wait, but then do you get the last? Wasn't Not tied in at all. Not anymore. So listen to, to what right? happened. I won the toilet bowl. Okay. I have the first pick in the rookie draft. I also still have Doug Martin, who I'm able to pick as my second rookie draft pick for free. No. Second round. All accounts like, is my second round pick in the rookie draft. Okay, the rookie draft is two rounds. Practically probably worthless it's anyway. Pr- practically worthless. So to, and on Sunday, or on the 4th of July, we had the draft picking, which is just random. The first round just randomly picked. Okay. And I won. Really? So I have the first pick in the regular draft, the first pick in the rookie draft, and Doug Martin for nothing. How many running backs do you play in that league? You start two. There's no flex. Okay. So, you're so basically I can draft Peterson or first. Or, right, whoever you like first. I have Peterson as my one, Martin as my two, and then whatever rookie wide receiver I want, and I just go from there. Yeah, is that how you're going to do it, you think? I think so. Because I know the rookie wide receivers don't tend to have a lot of impact. But there are three of them that could have huge impact. And I have a huge decision to make. There's Mike Evans in Tampa, right. Sammy Watkins in Buffalo, and Brandon Cooks in New Orleans. What about uh, who's the kid in Carolina? Yeah, Benjamin. Not as good as the other. I, I wouldn't probably consider him. Right. At least not first in the rookie draft. See, now if I was in your situation, what I would probably do is grab – the best running back still? That still is a huge option. The, the problem, problem is, is who, who is, is it? it? Yeah. But I have a lot of time to decide. I don't have to decide until the draft. Right. So I can sit out training camp, watch the games, see who trends, see how yeah. the Saints are going to use Brandon Cooks. I mean, honestly, what I would do is probably draft Watkins and just watch him and have fun with it because I'm a Bills fan. Which is sort of what I'm thinking with Cooks. Cooks, right. Just draft Cooks and have fun with it. All Cooks needs to be in that spot is... Is You're, decent this year. How many receivers? Because do you start? next year he's free. Yeah. How many do you start? Three. So I mean, he could be if he's your third receiver, or even if he's my fourth. I'm putting myself in a position where in rounds two and three, when I have the back-to-back picks, I can pick wide receiver, wide receiver. So right. I already have two yeah. running backs, and you can't start three. There's no flex in this league. 
Anyway, yeah, yeah, okay. the point is, is it got me thinking about leagues and how they're played and how each league always seems to strive to find some way to not just be a standard league. Right. And we've done this before on the podcast where we've said to our listeners, what do you do? What are the things you do to, do, to be different? Now, we've tried some things in our own leagues to varying success. One thing we tried one year that was a huge backfire, even though it sounded like a fun idea, was having our fifth round be like a uh, – I don't remember what we called it. But the idea was whoever you drafted last year in the fifth round, you could keep the following year as your sixth round pick. Right. And someone drafted Arian Foster in the fifth round, and it just gave him the league. an unbelievable <laughs> advantage. Yeah, he won the next year. Victory. Yep. So that's something we've tried. Also, one thing that we tried that I think works really well is home field advantage points in the playoffs. Yep, I kept that I for think my league. Traditionally, yep. we did two points per game mm-hmm. and no advantage in the championship going on. The, that's played at a neutral field just like the Super Bowl. Sure. I like that a lot. It gives a little bit of weight to the regular season, so just one bag a week doesn't totally screw you up. Uh, one of my friends, quote-unquote, someone on Twitter that I follow and who follows me back is a guy named Alex Miglio. And he writes f- about fantasy all over. He writes for uh, Bleacher Report or Creature Report. Uh, he also <laughs> writes for Sports Illustrated. Uh, he's all over. He's out there. And we kind of together tweeted out to the Twitter universe about what things they do. Yeah, and I always enjoy this because selfishly I want to take these ideas. He's at Alex Miglio, M-I-G-L-I-O on Twitter if you okay. want to look him up. Yeah, I, for my league, I have – and I have it open right now. I have a Google document – Ideas for 2014 rules meeting, and I kind of source the league. My league is pretty standard, and I don't even necessarily need rules like that go into the game to make it different. I like rules that uh, just make it different somehow. Like right. My Each... my last place team in my league gets na- renamed by the rest of the league for the following. Well, until they make the playoffs is the rule. So. Uh, that's just something that doesn't affect the game at all, but it makes it different and fun. And And Matthew Barry's book that came out last year is full of stuff like this. Uh, Part of what his book is about is finding these things. Like I know there's a league where it's a tattoo. The last person has to agree to a tattoo. That's brutal. Uh, In the league, I was just talking about the winner of the division gets to name the division the next year. Yeah, we actually do that. Just a real simple, fun thing. Another thing that we've done in our leagues that has been real successful is the division, the championship participants being in separate divisions and picking their divisions. I stole that too. Picking their opponents. That's another good one that you're more than welcome to steal. If you're out there listening, that's fun too, because that's uh, trash talk fodder. You know, if you get picked first in that, that's that's not cool, <laughs> right? And I think someone who did get picked first last year what won my league won the or, league, right? Was, or, he was picked first in one of the divisions, I right, believe, and he won it. Yep. And I wonder if his opponent, Liz, was she another one of the first picks? They were both near the bottom of the yeah. league the prior season, so, so yeah. they they were probably high picks in that draft. Big turnaround. Brazil has scored. The comeback is underway. <laughs> They're going to need a lot of stoppage time added. An extra time they've scored? So uh, here's what we got. Michael Clifford on Twitter says he's got a homekeeper league. The last place team has to buy and cook all the meat for the barbecue slash draft the next year. Okay. Um, Michael Parkwood says the higher seed in the playoff gets a three-point home field advantage. So one point more than we did. Um, Return yards in an IDP PPR league. Hashtag fun. Whoa. Um, the loser bowl for the last four teams, losers pay for the winner. Take all free for all week 17 when our Super Bowl 
has already been decided. Don't lose. Okay, I don't know if I get that. Let me slow down a little bit. Okay. So the last four teams in week 17 play for a winner-take-all free-for-all week. Don't lose. So there must be some kind of penalty for losing it. Winner-take-all. So the four last-place teams, it's got to be a 10-team league then or something. Six mm-hmm. playoffs teams, four non. Some sort of winner. Probably need more information than the 160 characters allowed I, for. I do kind of like – I'm going to – Steal the idea of doing something week seventeen, I, right? Everything's over, right? I, I like that idea. I'm not sure what how to incorporate that, but I like something. Um, someone else says they like charging for transactions to stop, stop transaction hogs. Yeah, you know, I think it was one of your leagues that started it, and I believe maybe it was due to the podcast. I think we might have had a, a guest on it said they like the free agent budget. The blind Blind bidding is the way to do it, right? Because this does that. Uh, I think it adds – it's almost like It's your money. You spend it the way you want to spend it. It When you're out, you're out. It makes free agency a little bit of a game in itself. Uh, It's a blind auction. If you want to bid – I think I give out $100 in my league. If you want to bid 20 of that on a guy, you're entitled to without knowing what the other people bid. So if if the only – the next highest bid was seven dollars, and you essentially cost yourself thirteen dollars, but you got your guy. Um, I think that does that fine. I don't want to. Depends on how hardcore your league is, uh, the financial situation everybody's in. But I don't like the free for all free agency. That's terrible. But the one thing about charging people for transactions is remember you have to try to collect that, and sometimes to to collect collecting it, it is hard enough as it is. And you want teams to tr- keep competing. I think one thing I would do if I was going to do that, and I want, I would love if all my leagues do that, is have a PayPal set up for that people can just pay in the league. Yeah, I PayPal charges you for something though, but I don't think they charge you until it's a hundred dollars. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that there's certain rules for just transferring money from people to people. Uh, we did a someone, one of my friends did a NCAA pool. And I owed twenty dollars, and I did it on PayPal, and he got twenty dollars. Okay. So for smaller transactions, yeah, maybe I'm just thinking of eBay. I know they take a cut of eBay. PayPal money. definitely takes cuts. Yeah. I just think that the smaller amounts they don't. But if you charge the dollar, say per transaction, the rule could just be you have to have the dollar in PayPal before you can make the transaction, sure. or something like that. But uh, a couple more. Uh, one thing that we've done is getting rid of kickers and even defenses altogether. Yeah, just now, adding an extra flex spot. Right, yeah, we did that in your leagues. I like that. I hate playing with kickers in defense. I am stupid when it comes to statistics. And in my league, before I started my league, I put out a vote. And I voted against kickers in D, but the majority said they wanted kickers in D. So now that I've had them in there and I like to be able to compare season to season, I almost think I want to keep them just because I don't want to skew the scoring one way or another. But, right. yeah, I hate kicker in D. Uh, it's just a total crapshoot. Uh, one person had something that they do for their defense is they only score for turnovers and sacks. So they take the randomness of touchdowns out of it. Okay. Turnovers and sacks are always going to happen. The defensive touchdowns are so random that that's probably what puts certain defenses over and makes it kind of backfire. Yeah, especially if I guess if you have special teams in there too, that I guess can be a little bit random unless you've got someone like a Devin Hester who's always good at it. My league doesn't count special teams. Those go to the actual player. 
but the yardage doesn't. So I, I don't know what the right way to do that is necessarily. Yeah, so a bunch of different stuff there. It's you know a bunch of rules that we talked about. Yeah, keep Send sending us those more. In. I the, like those. The sportscasters at gmail.com or at sports underscore casters on Twitter. Uh, last thing, uh, the listeners league. Um, we had an issue last year where we were a little bit too nice to people who had been in it before. And we didn't invite people in who would have been in because we held spots for people who ultimately didn't participate. Right. We had I'm a gonna couple auto-drafts. I'm going to yeah. be sending an email out this week. Uh, and if you're in the league and you get this email and you don't respond that you absolutely will be available, we are going to give your spot away to someone else. We know there's 10 people who want to be in the listener league mm. because we turned away people last year. We're not going to make that mistake again. So we're going to try to let the people who are in – Stay in if they want to be, but please, if you don't, let us know that you don't. And if you do, there, I bet there's going to be spots. So if you're interested, uh, email us to sportscasters at gmail.com and let, let us know. The draft will be early because August is going to be a weird month at the sportscasters. I'm getting married. I'm going on a honeymoon. I don't know how many shows we're going to be able to do in August. I would think we would do one the Tuesday before the wedding. I don't have anything to do that day. But then that might be it basically until the week before football. Right. So, and even then is going to be a jam because that's Labor Day. Labor Day is Monday. Yeah. But I think we will probably do a show the Tuesday after Labor Day. Yeah, I have no problem. As doing long it, as we can book it, yes. Right. right. As long as we can book something, we'll do something. And I would think that probably everyone in football is going to be working that week, so it won't be as hard as most holidays are. Yeah, I was just wondering if it was going to be hectic. Not that it would. Not yeah, that they wouldn't be working. It might be, but I think we have enough pull with certain people that they'll make time for us. Sure. And there's your <laughs> backroom show meeting stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> stuff we probably could have done with the mics off. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. We'll take a break and we'll come back uh, with Dan Levy. Our next guest is a pioneer in the podcasting industry, having recorded over 500 episodes of the critically acclaimed On the DL podcast. He's a former writer for SportingNews.com and was a contributor to the Washington Post. He is also the creator of 609 Design. Today, he is a national lead writer and senior analyst for the website Bleacher Report. His Twitter feed is one of the most critical, entertaining, and underrated on the medium. He's making his fourth appearance on the podcast today, a warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Dan Levy. How's it going today, Dan? Levy, you do this every time because you're from like the, I what do, are you do from, Buffalo? Time. You know, I was thinking to myself beforehand, which way do I screw it up? And then no, I, was, so, I was staring at it saying, well, it has to be Levy. There's no A. You're, you're too close to Canada, so it's Levy in Canada. But here's the funny thing. So I've done like, uh, like 50 interviews during the World Cup. Right, yeah. I, at least. Doing a lot. And... And I'll be honest, like, it's 30-20. I don't know which way is more. A few producers ask. Most just assume. Midwest, I've been getting a lot of levy. On the coasts, it's been more levy. It's fascinating to see how America um, pronounces my last name. You know what else is, is, is tricky about it is that Jane is always on our podcast, and you guys spell it differently. Right, right. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I go – it's funny because – wait, aren't you a Buffalo guy? I am a Buffalo guy, yeah. So Marv Levy is in your wheelhouse. So I would he think is. that you would be – be used to Levy, not right. Levy, which is why you it's guys do spell it the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm a dope. You know, it's funny. The very first time we had you is right before your podcast had ended. And I think you mentioned it, which was very kind of you because it did give us a bump. It's kind of like a wrestler, um, you know, putting a guy over before he goes out of the business. But uh, one of the one of your listeners was like, that guy mispronounced your name like 13 times. He's an idiot. And I, I saw it on Twitter and I wrote, you know, you're right. I am an idiot. That's brutal for me. And he kind of got a kick out of that. And like he's a – I guess like – I, I don't hate to say because he's a fan of our show now. He kind of picked this up since you guys left. So, but I apologize. I won't. I won't screw that up again. No, again, or I like probably I said, will. I'm, at this point, I, I sometimes forget even what's right. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us. Um, a couple things I want to talk. I want to talk. I want to ask you a little bit about the World Cup and soccer and get some of your opinions on that. But uh, I want to talk to you about Bleacher Report a little bit first because there was a report out maybe a month or so ago about how. Bleacher Report had established itself as the second uh, website, sports website on the internet. Uh, so it's obviously been doing really great. And um, one one day, uh, Aaron Nagler, who has been on our podcast before and has, is a really friendly guy, very nice to us, had tweeted about how he just loved the uh, the app, the TeamStream app. And, um, you know, I, I didn't have it at the time. And one thing that had been frustra- frustrating me about Bleacher Report was that every time I clicked on an article that someone tweeted to read it, I'd have to get through an ad to download the TeamStream app. And finally, someone had said, you know, this is a great app. And I said, you know what? I should just download it. Then I don't have to go through that ad. I just read it right on the app. And he was right. The app is fantastic. I, I really enjoy it. I love uh, the content. Um, there's a ton of it. The, custom- the customization of it is great. And I noticed the other day that it also got a bump, probably unintentionally, from Bill Simmons, who tweeted a picture kind of complaining because you guys had linked to a Grantland article. And I was just curious to get your opinion on something like that. When that happens, is that actually good for you? Did he actually do you guys a favor? I, look, I, I know. let me put it this way. My, my content, what I write, goes through the TeamStream app if I write about something that you're following. The good thing about the TeamStream app is that you can customize it, like you said, to, to the, just the teams you care about. So... If you don't care about the World Cup, you probably haven't seen my name come over in, in six weeks. But if you do care about it, hopefully, or especially if you if you plug in the United States soccer, hopefully you've seen all my articles come through the app. So it's a good way for us to get our articles onto mobile, onto different people who may not see it otherwise. To your point about Simmons, and obviously, look, I don't work on the app, so I don't know exactly how this all works. But I got the sense after Simmons' comment that he doesn't understand how it works at all. Because... We're actually sending traffic to them. So, and Dave Finocchio, who's basically the head of our company, tweeted something out earlier today about this, where we are basically giving, uh, he said something like a billion clicks to other media sites. And the reason for that, and I don't think anyone's going to get mad at me for suggesting this, is because you're coming to our app to read their sites. You're clicking through to them. So if you want to read an article at Grantland or ESPN or CBS or any of these other sites, you can come to the Bleacher Report team stream app Click on a link that may go to another site. We're okay with that. Yes, they're competitors, but guess what? You're using our app. And eventually, we hope that you're going to click on more of our content than the other content we're, we're sending you to. And I think the, the plan is that if you have our app, in most cases, you're reading our content first and then supplementing that by going to an outside source. And that's okay because everybody wins. Our, our numbers are huge, and we're giving Simmons traffic. And he's mad at that. So I just think he didn't understand the technology. Right, and as a reader, I feel like 
to me, it, it makes me, it endears me to Bleacher Report in a sense because as a reader, I just say, here's a company that is just trying to put information they think I want to read in front of me, whether they wrote it or someone else did, and that's endearing in some way. It's like the progressive commercials with Flo. You know, everyone talks about Flo with that, right, she's wearing all white and the red hair. But the progressive, basically what their app does is they, they'll take five insurance companies and say, here's the prices. And what they hope is that most times they'll be the best price or the best deal and you'll click with them. But they're willing to offer the service to say, hey, look, here's all of the prices. We hope you go with us. And I don't know what the statistics are for them, but for us, I think it's, it helps. Come through our app. You can see the entire world. And I think that that's a pretty smart way to do it. Even if you're clicking somewhere else more often, we're not getting the click if you're coming through our app, but you're using our materials. You see our logo. You know, you, it, it's, a, it's a better way to get people under our umbrella who eventually will hopefully consume our content more than everybody else's. Yeah, you know, when we talk, you talked uh, when you were answering my first question about how if I maybe didn't follow the U.S. soccer team, I might have missed some of your articles. But, uh, and I admitted this to Rob Stone a few weeks ago on the podcast, and we can talk about it in a second. When it comes to international soccer, I'm a trader. Uh, I do cheer for Italy first. I'd never cheer against the U.S., but I grew up in an Italian household. I watched the 94 final with my great-grandmother, wiped the tears off of her eyes after Roberto Baggio kicked it over the net. Uh, But I can follow you directly, and I can follow the writers that I love that contribute to your site directly. And that's the one thing since I've been following Bleacher Report more now than maybe when we first talked and I researched it or in other times is that you guys have – incredible writers and one thing i wanted to talk about was uh jeff perlman who's one of our favorites we uh loved sweetness and kind of started a relationship with uh with jeff and he's been on our show many times and one thing i've always bugged him about is get back to writing columns people love your columns you know it's so long to wait between books and bleacher report has offered him a, a spot to do that i think he does one column a month and and jeff is great about taking you behind his work after and talks about how easy the company is to work for how they just kind of he pitches an idea and they work with him on, the, on that idea and they let him go and, and it's the writing and the writers has been great and it seems like that was a shift once you kind of came am i correct about that i mean it's, it's connecting a lot of dots i mean when when we got hired me and josh Zirkle and shoals and dan rubenstein i think is at sb nation now um matt miller got sort of promoted to this lead writer program they basically said we're going to start paying writers we're going to promote quality content we're going to try it for a few months and see how it goes. And they said, don't worry about the traffic. Don't worry about anything. We'll handle that. We just want you to provide good content. That, that's never changed for me. They've never asked me to do anything that I felt uncomfortable doing. Occasionally, you argue about a headline here and there, maybe an angle of a story. But, but I've been able to do whatever I want. And since that program began, I don't even know how many we've had come and go. So, you know, some people leave. It happens at every company. You'll get people who have left and did not have a good experiences. It wasn't a good fit, and that happens. But by and large, I think most of us have had a pretty good experience. A lot of people are still there for a year, two years, even more. Uh, and I think we have close to probably to 50. Uh, it's just off the top of my head, but I would think close to 50 people in what we would call this lead writer tier. I, I don't think Jeff's in that. Um, I think he does more just freelancing stuff. Rick Buecher is another guy who does a lot of contributions with us. And does he does quite a bit during basketball season. And now you see him all over the place with the, uh, right. with the free agency and whatnot. So it, we have a, a decent combination of known people, bigger name people that we didn't have when I first started, but then people who just sort of grind it out and do good work. And like you said, you can find people who fit your style, who fit your interests, and it's it's a pretty cool place to get stuff. 
if I've talked about all the things that I, I like about Bleacher Report and the app, I, st- I have to mention the one thing I don't, and, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I'm curious to get your take, and it's and it has changed a bit, I think. There isn't quite as many, but it's the the multi-page stories. And, and sometimes it makes sense. I mean, if you're writing a story about uh, the top 25 plays in the 2010 NFL season or something, it makes sense uh, to do it like a slideshow. But there's still articles, and this is probably poor preparation on my part because I can't think of a specific example, but it still happens from time to time when their articles come up, and I just don't understand why it has to be on 25 pages and it can be frustrating sometimes uh yeah, yeah. well let, let me let me let me answer so so i can only speak for myself from a writing standpoint and, and i try not to do slideshow presentations or however you want to call it page by page it's just not usually how my stories are going to lay out but i have done some i've ranked uh announcers for different sports and i've done you know seven things u.s soccer blah 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 and for me if I'm writing 400 words and I have an image and a headline for those three or 400 words, and then I have a completely different thought, sometimes it flows better. In my opinion, sometimes it flows better to hit the next button. Now, look, if, you, if you're on a computer, you literally only have to click the right arrow or left arrow, and it just moves the page. It doesn't reload everything. It doesn't take 30 seconds to, to bring up an ad. If you're on the app, if you're on an iPhone or an iPad or whatever, you literally just scroll to the right. So... And I understand it annoys people, and I get that. But if you're reading a story that's 5,000 words, you're scrolling up and down to get more words. If you're reading a story that's 5,000 words but broken up into 10 pages, you're just scrolling left or right. It's the exact same motion. (laughs) So you're either hitting the down arrow or the right arrow. I don't understand why people have an issue with that other than they think we're cheating for page views. And and let me just address that because I'm glad you brought this up. Okay. Is it cheating for page views? Is a one-page story potentially getting us more clicks if we spread it into seven or eight? I I don't know enough about the technology, but from what everyone else on the internet says, yes, that's what happens. But it's free content. We're not charging you per page. We're not limiting you like the New York Times or whatever. You get 10 articles a month, and each time you hit to the right of a slideshow, that counts as a separate article. This is free content that you can read at your leisure, and it pays my bills or every other writer that we have who gets paid. So I always think it's hilarious when people come to me and say, oh, I would have read your article, but you had to click to the right five times to finish it. Guess what? That clicking to the right feeds my kids. Click to the right. It's only one button. Is it that much of a hardship for you? And I think it's hilarious in this day and age. We're so caught up in like, I need everything right now. I don't want to have to scroll one second. And you're scrolling anyway down instead of right that there's like this, anti-slideshow movement still you're that that like would preclude someone from reading content because they're just against the notion of it and i think it's free it's like going to the library and saying wow you only had a thousand words or or a hundred words on this page not 200 i'm not getting this free book today it's ridiculous yeah i i don't know anything about page views and i don't begrudge anyone for trying to make a profit so that's not it for me and and actually since i've downloaded the app the slideshows have been less obtrusive. The problem I had with them is when I was just reading the articles uh, on my web browser on my phone, You would st- the, the text itself sometimes wouldn't always all fit from left to right. So if I had to move back and forth, sometimes if I move too far, then I'd end up on the last page of the slideshow and I'd have to go back and that, got, that is what would annoy me about it. But again, I think that, that brings people to the point of 
the website is more for the computer and the app is more for for mobile. And I think right. that's why we drive people to the app because that certainly doesn't happen. Look, I get it's a logistical issue. And I get sometimes it's frustrating for people to be in the middle of a story. And I certainly get when people uh, feel like we could put a story on one page and we're putting three words or 20 cent, you know, two paragraphs on a page and then you're moving to the right. It does feel cheap. We're not the only website that does it. We are certainly not the only one who puts random photo slideshows and other sports site do it sports sites do that too right it, it, it happens everywhere i just think it's funny that when people are consuming content for free they get so mad about it when literally it's what helps pay our bills the sportscasters are here with dan levy uh, at dan levy thinks on twitter national lead writer for bleacher report let's talk a little bit about the world cup because i know you've been doing it a lot this month you've been all over always uh, a champion for soccer here in the united states i think it was mark cuban who uh, tweeted this, and I thought it was a really great point. He said he thought that uh, some of the the way that the country had gotten behind uh, the men's team and the way that we've really embraced it this year is that we have a really, really strong appetite to get together and celebrate being American, and that there's very few chances for us to come together for something like that and just dress in silly flag shirts or drape a flag over our shoulder and just scream about loving America. You think he was onto something there? I do, uh, definitely. I, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that people could go out and be patriotic, and the soccer became secondary for for a good portion of those people. But if you look at that and compare it to the Olympics, and and, and I know people say you can't compare soccer to to the Olympics ratings because the Olympics ratings were enormous, but they were prime time. They were taped. They were packaged together by NBC to maximize the drama, to maximize the Americanism of it all. Do you notice that the sports that we're good at in the Olympics get the most play? The sports that we win get the best time slots. That doesn't happen in soccer because it's live. We have no idea if we're going to be Belgium or not. And yet 26 million, 25 million people watched it, and 50,000 people went into a stadium in Dallas or in Chicago or Kansas City to watch a game together. That didn't happen even, look at the Winter Olympics, we made such a big deal about TJ Oshie and, and the, the amazing uh, shootout, yep. yeah, the shootout in the Russia and the Canadian game and all this, that had what, 5.6 million people, which is amazing for 10 a.m. on a weekend, a hockey game, 5.6 million people. The U.S. played Portugal and it was 22 million, 28 million, if you include Univision and online. I mean, it's not even close. So, yes, a lot of it is nationalism. I, I think some of it is actual genuine interest in soccer, and maybe not MLS translation, but in the sport of soccer as a whole. Well, yeah, I think that maybe the nationalism brings people to the table, but then they see how great the game can be and how exciting and how compelling it can be. It's almost like a cause and effect. Uh, we get there because we want to celebrate being American, and then when we get there, we say, wow, this really is awesome. Right, right, and and that's what people hope will help grow the sport. The better the United States gets the more people have the opportunities to dress up like maniacs and, and bring you know uh, Statue of Liberties and whatnot to, to games and, and have fun. Nobody wants to back a loser. I mean, in any sport, no, nobody wants to be the guy who's showing up watching a loser all the time. So as, this, as the sport grows in America, the U.S. team needs to get better. They need to advance in the tournament each time, maybe not in rounds, but it's certainly in quality of play. And I think that's an issue that people had. You know, We got as far as last time. We got outplayed in more matches than we than we outplayed our opponent. Did we really advance? And that, it's an interesting debate for soccer people right now. But I hope that the casual fan sees that there's a future, sees that there's 
something down the line. There, I think that there's growth in U.S. soccer right now. And if you stick around and watch EPL and watch La Liga and watch MLS and watch the Gold Cup and all these other things, you'll see some pretty good soccer on American television that may not always be just exclusively American. You know, you mentioned hockey and how they often are in these points where uh, people are more casual fans, people who aren't fans get in front of the sport. And then when that period ends, uh, Gary Bettman, who unfortunately for the NHL is kind of a boob, (laughs) they try to think of uh, what can we do to build on this momentum. So I I don't know exactly who's going to be in charge of this, but if you were, what would you do post-World Cup to try to build on this momentum if you were the head of the mls what would you do to try to fill stadiums to get people on watching tv and so on i play every game outdoors no kid, that was a hockey oh come on that was a hockey i get, it, was a I, get it, I get it i like it i, I had on. to think about it for a second i'm sorry look I, I don't know the answer if i knew the answer and i'm friendly with people in mls i think they would have hired me already i i don't know what they can do i think it helps that during the world cup guys like david Villa from spain sign deals to play with the new team in New York. And then he scores a great goal in the last game. Granted, Spain was, was already out, but he scores a great goal. Tim Cahill plays for Red Bulls, and he had maybe the goal of the tournament. You have a guy like Kaká who didn't make the Brazil team but was in the conversation a little bit. He's maybe three, four years past his prime, but he's coming to MLS, playing for Orlando. I think those signings and the bigger name players, and soccer people in America disagree with me, but I think getting players who still have some something left in the tank and can sell jerseys and get people to the stadiums is important for MLS. And I think, look, I live near Philadelphia. The, the union got Maurice Adu, a few other players who are pretty good, good MLS players. The team stinks this year. I haven't gone to a game. But I'll bet you if Kaká was playing against them, I would go. And, and I'm a little bit of a front runner for saying that, sure. But when I go, I would say, hey, wow, this union team is better than I thought. They have a couple good players. And now all of a sudden you've gotten yourself more involved. That's what MLS needs to do. And I'm not saying go out and buy all these old aging players. There's a balance to strike. They need to make sure that a guy like DeAndre Yedlin becomes a star in MLS. And now he's already talking about leaving. And he might go somewhere in Europe, which would be great for him and great for U.S. soccer. It would not be great for MLS. So there's a balance between what's good for MLS and what's good for the future of U.S. soccer. And sometimes it always doesn't add up. You have to help me out with this, but... If you're a, a, a middling or a struggling MLS team, isn't the move to just do whatever you can do to try to get Tim Howard to be your goalie? I'm pretty sure he plays in England, and maybe he has no interest in coming here to play as club soccer, and maybe you can't <clears throat> afford it. But isn't that the guy that could change the league, or am I kind of off on that? I mean, to, to answer your question, he, he you know, I don't think he would necessarily change the league, but he's not going anywhere. Right. He, he, he's one of the three best yeah, keepers right. in England. He just re-signed a deal with Everton. He's going to stay there for a couple of years. Um, so just not realistic. Well, and that's the thing. It, it, it's realistic in theory. If you look at Clint Dempsey, Clint Dempsey was at Fulham, had a great year, went to Tottenham, tried to play Champions League, you know, he was trying to stay with Tottenham for a while, did not have a good season, ended up coming back to MLS. People thought with his tail between his legs, but he's actually done pretty well. Michael Bradley bounced around Europe a little bit, ended up coming back to Toronto, what people think was for the money, which was a lot of money. And going into the World Cup, we thought, well, Michael Bradley's our best player. This is not a terrible thing. Now coming out of the World Cup, they think, well, maybe he should have stayed in Europe and played against better competition because he looked unprepared for the World Cup. Right. So, so again, with that, there's a balance. Howard's not coming back. I mean, Howard's going to finish his career at Everton. He's going to go maybe in two, three years into the 
if he's not still playing, he's going to go into the the booth and maybe call games in 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 America. Uh, he's not coming back. Who who is coming back? You know, you hope you can get some good players. You hope you can keep the Omar Gonzalez type of players for the next few years and and build a strong U.S. presence, U.S. soccer presence in MLS certainly. Uh, one one uh, other thing about the games, and I don't want to come off as sour grapes here, uh, but I, I've noticed I've noticed this in the past, and and obviously it's not exclusive to soccer, but the referee has incredible power in these matches. We saw uh, the really questionable penalty in the very first game that Brazil took advantage of. Uh, we saw Italy. That game, I, I just didn't understand it at all. I, I, I couldn't understand as a somewhat casual observer, although I'm a little bit smarter than that. I'm not totally casual. I didn't quite understand the red card uh, that sent the, the Italian player off. I certainly didn't understand why the guy wasn't kicked out for biting, although I guess it's probably just nobody saw it. Um, then also, you know, Neymar's injury, a lot of people talking about how uh, the referee didn't take control of that game, was really careless. Uh, what do you think about the way this World Cup has been officiated and kind of the power that the official has in these games? And uh, as we've heard, some rumblings of potential uh, uh, match fixing with one of the, the African teams. I'm, I'm all over the place a little bit on this question, but I think you know generally what I'm asking. Yeah, I think it's two parts. Match fixing, I'm going to leave aside. But the the referees, look, they're not great. They They haven't been great around the world. Uh, it's a very difficult sport to officiate when there's linesmen who can call penalties and call offsides on, on the side and one referee on a giant field. Right. It's very difficult for them to see everything. Uh, I think that some the top referees who are still around have done a decent job. I think that the, the match that you're talking about with Brazil the other day, it certainly got out of hand. And it was unfortunate that it got out of hand. And it probably did lead to Neymar getting need in the back, because I don't think any player is doing that if they're starting to give out cards earlier in that game. Uh, having said that, Thiago Silva had the dumbest yellow card in the world and is missing the semifinals right. for basically a non-contact move. So, you know, players do stupid things too. Sometimes they get caught. I mean, that's soccer. I, I hate to do one of those that's soccer, but it is. Referees aren't good anywhere. People argue about how terrible referees are in MLS, and then you watch some, some of the matches in England. There's four or five good referees. Some are the worst you watch Spain, the worst in some cases. So they're bad everywhere. And I don't know how you fix that because if it's bad everywhere, it's just maybe they're not young enough or fit enough or they can't control the match enough. I mean, it's just, you know, you look at the Brazil matches. I mean, referees are going to be, they're going to be affected by the crowd. It's I mean, it's just, spot. it's going to happen. It is a tough spot to, yeah. yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no, no. no you're, you're right. I mean, yeah. so. You know, to to the point of match fixing, just quickly, it happens, and I, I swear that in the in, in one of the matches, I'm trying to remember which one it was. I want to say, oh, in in Brazil, Cameroon, at the end of that match, the Cameroon players were handing the ball, kicking the ball right to Brazil. At one point, the goalie actually dove out of the way of a shot uh, early in the game, and the goal line was two and a half. I looked it up during that match; it was two and a half. And Brazil ended up winning by three. And the last goal was literally given right to them and basically said, go ahead and score. I can't imagine if in four or five years, two years, that it won't come back that something happened in that match in particular because it was the other match, another match that they played in, that people were questioning. So that happens. I cannot believe it could happen in the World Cup, but having watched it, I can't believe it didn't. The NHL went to a two-ref system, and they don't have as much space out there. Would that help 
soccer at all? Is it anything they'd ever consider? No, they are considering it, and there's been talk about it. I mean, I don't know how many years ago, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, uh, they they allowed the the linesmen used to just call out of bounds and and offsides, and now they're allowed to call penalties for I don't know how long, which has helped because essentially you have three referees on the field. Um, They don't get to actually whistle the play dead. They speak to, you know, through the microphone to the actual referee. And then they have to make the call. So sometimes it doesn't always work. Look, the issue is they have goal line technology now, and it's helped. They need offside technology. And I don't know how much that changes the game. Now you're adding all this technology. There needs to be a way to clean up the game with the kneeing in the back, with the behind the ball kind of stuff. It's helped that linesmen can call penalties because more red cards than not are players being dirty behind the referee's back, but now the linesmen can see it. They can call over to the referee. With two on the field, I think it would certainly help. Uh, two more quick things, and I'll let you go. I know this is going a little bit long. Oh, uh, one really, really quick thing because you didn't mention it. Uh, was that a red card on the Italian player, in your opinion? Honestly, there's so many games ago, I can't even recall. Can't remember. That's all right. I think they called it kicking over the ball, which I didn't even know that was a thing. But uh, all right, no, not important anyway. They needed to score at least one goal in the last two games. It's on them, regardless. Uh, two quick last things. Uh, next year. The World Cup uh, for the ladies is in tr- is in uh, Canada, and I, I think that Vancouver is the main city. But there'll be games a- across the country, and I live in the northern part of Buffalo, which makes me even closer to Toronto than my southern friends in Buffalo are. And it'd be crazy for me if the U.S. women do have a game in Toronto, not to think about at least going up there for it. And the times are going to be great, and it could be a huge, huge year for women's soccer and women's sports. We haven't won this. I think a lot of people get confused because of the Olympics is such a big deal in women's soccer. We have won that, but we haven't actually won the World Cup since '99. Am I right about that? Uh, yes, I think so. But to burst your bubble, there will no will, will not be any games in Toronto. No Toronto games at all. They're all going. No, be it's in- insane, and it doesn't make any sense to me. For some, I read the other day because I was trying to figure out why this is the case. Because Toronto, you think, is the biggest city, right? It the, is by far. I think globally, I would right. think uh, there's something about the Pan Am Games taking ah. place, and that I don't know if there was a conflict in the timing of the Pan Am Games or just the logistics of hosting two Pan, you know, the Pan Am Games and the World Cup. But yes, Canada is hosting the World Cup next year. And they're not putting a game in Toronto. There are games around. There's Montreal and there's some other towns, cities in, in the region. So you're relatively close. Look, I was my daughter's seven and she plays. And I was thinking about bringing her up for a weekend and seeing if she can play or she can go watch some of the matches. Because it's about yeah. as close as you're going to get right. outside of it being in America. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to also seeing what Fox Sports is going to do with this thing. Uh, last thing, and I'll let you go real quick. There's three matches left. Oh, there's a third-place game, too, I think, but whatever. I don't know why they still do that. But uh, oh, It's great. More soccer. Come on. <laughs> all right. Well, there's three matches left. There's a great uh, semifinal today. Uh, Germany, four semifinals um, and four World Cups. One of them was an incredible match that was one of my favorite sports moments ever with uh, Fabio Grasso's goal in the last minute of extra time in 2006. But uh, w- w- just it just laid out for me the next three games. What are you looking to see? Is this is this maybe going to be about Messi here? Um, is it going to be about if Brazil can go? What are the things you're following in the last three games, and who do you think ultimately raises the trophy? I don't know when this comes. Is it, when does this come out? I'll post it tonight. So the yeah. So the, I'm going to look foolish if I give a, if no, I give one well, on the Brazil well, Germany. We, we, we're we're saying it's before. So. Well, I'll, I'll I'll say this. I, I picked Brazil at the beginning of the tournament to win. I think the home field advantage is enormous. Um, I think that the injuries have been. Very difficult for them, uh, will be very difficult for them to overcome without Neymar, the suspension with Thiago Silva. So I, I think it would be hard. Uh, Germany has not looked great. 
I still think something miraculous is going to happen and Brazil wins. People may laugh at me later when you already know the result as you're listening to this. Right. As for the other match, injury, look, I, I think Di Maria is, is the second best player for Argentina. Uh, I called him the Scotty Pippen of soccer because he gets to play with Lionel Messi for country and Cristiano Ronaldo for club. I mean, talk about yeah, maybe the, nice. yeah. Yeah, the best yeah. second fiddle uh, in the world. And, and losing him is going to hurt immensely. Having said that, as good as the Netherlands are, uh, and as good as their attack is, and as dynamic as their tact- tactics have been, the guys have been all over the field. It's, it's really been fun to watch, but they have not put the ball in the net enough. You know, they had to come back in miraculous fashion against Mexico. They had to go to penalties against Costa Rica. And, and even though they outplayed them and they hit the crossbar like four times, Wesley Schneider hit the crossbar like three or four times. But they haven't put the ball in that. So I, I think if, if Argentina can figure out a way to score early, it's going to open the game up a little bit. I, I think Argentina can win that game. I, I really genuinely, I can't believe that there would be a South American World Cup without a South American team in the final. So I think I'm still picking both South American teams to get through, even though I could very easily see it being the exact opposite way, which makes this final, or these final four uh, teams, amazing. It's such a great joy to have such a good world cup finish with hopefully as you said four great matches yeah i was just gonna say maybe the the best thing uh about what's left in front of us is you could sounds like you can make a case for all four teams to be the winner and by the way the third place game is always more fun to watch than the than the final because the third place game they never want to go to penalties they just want to end it it's always wide open guys are taking chances They, they care enough for bragging rights but all bets are sort of off. So if you ever just want to hang out and watch a cool game, that third place game is going to be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, I'm not fooling anyone. I'll be watching it. I'm just that kind of guy. Uh, it's at Dan L E V Y thinks on Twitter. Follow this Twitter feed. It's great. I promise. Uh, lead writer on BleacherReport.com. The app is Team Stream. It's great. Uh, anything else you want to put out there to our listeners? No, you got it all covered, man. Thank you. And by the way, the Iron Man thing, that was very well timed. At the yes. Beginning. Was, I appreciate that. Uh, Iron Max, a hero of mine. I struggle with my own health. Uh, actually, uh, Richard Deitch and I kind of got a little bit of run because of it last summer. Uh, but, um, uh, geez, uh, it puts a lot of things into perspective to see such a cool kid just being so awesome like that. So props to, to Iron Max. And uh, thank you so much for all the time today. It really was great. No problem. Thank you. All right, I want to thank Dan Levy and Robert Klemko for being on the podcast today. I want to thank Dan for having a name that has completely mind <laughs> F me to the point where I've probably said it every different possible way at this point. Yeah, it's a four-letter name. You'd think it'd be easy, but I have a four-letter last name, and somehow it's always been Ross or I got a yeah, you insurance couldn't, check. Couldn't be easier. No, I know. R-U-S-S is Russ in every Always week. been messed up, though, on paperwork. Like Ross. I got rough, like Lindy. Uh but, yeah, four-letter last name is tough, I guess. Uh, thanks to Dan and Robert for being on the podcast today. Again, if all stays planned, we should have a great show next week. Uh, as of right now, Ian Rappaport, John Wertheim, and Jeremy Taggart. Makes for a great show. Yeah. Uh, you can find our shows at www.sports-casters.com, at sports underscore casters on Twitter. Um, you can listen to the show on our website, on iTunes, on Stitcher, Downcast, Instacast. Uh, all kinds of different podcast apps. Let us know if there's some way you want to listen to it and you can't. We'll work on that. 
Um, and uh, that's about it for that kind of stuff. We're not good at that. Promoting? No, we're not good at that. No, we're the worst. Yeah. All right. Uh, one last thing for me today. Uh, Doriel Green Beckham was a five-star recruit, the number one recruit in the nation a few years ago. He was a guy that Oklahoma was recruiting. Ultimately, he decided Missouri would be the place for him. Uh, two failed drug tests and a alleged fight that resulted in him pushing someone allegedly down the stairs. Right. Now, that third incident, no, there's no charges have been filed. It's an allegation. It may or may not have happened. I don't know. I do know that was all that Missouri needed to dismiss him from the football program. Uh, last week, Oklahoma brought him in and signed him. Um, there's been a lot of talk about you know, what that means for Oklahoma. Um, actually, I'm looking at an article on CBS Sports uh, by Dennis Dodd, who questions Oklahoma for doing it. For asking? F- no, not even getting to oh, that point. Okay. Just for bringing him on campus. Essentially saying that this kid's life should stay wherever it is and shouldn't be allowed on the football field. Hmm. Personally, I don't jive with that. If I'm Oklahoma, it's a no-lose situation to me. One of the Oklahoma coaches in bringing DGB, as he's known in, said, we've told him if he so much as farts at a meeting, he's gone. This is his (laughs) last chance, right? I don't have any problem with being the team to give him that chance because guess what? Somebody was going to. Right. So it might as well be Oklahoma. It doesn't matter to me. And you know what? Oklahoma has a chance if this works out to say we were the institution who took this troubled Josh Gordon type player in the making in. We brought him into our program. We reformed him and we sent him off into the NFL where he is now a millionaire productive player on an NFL team. Sure. If it doesn't work, they let him go and say, we gave the kid a chance. He's too gone. It didn't work. He's no longer a part of Oklahoma. Now, unless they dismiss him because he murdered a student. What is it he could do that would make you regret it? I mean, yeah, I don't literally know. outside of murdering a student. People if, he gets, a- if he gets a DUI, if he fails a drug test, if he's late to a meeting, if he gets in a bar fight, yep. all that stuff happens every day on the campus. People put too much stock into, I believe, culture. Like, that buzzword culture, like, will he ruin their culture there? And I think culture is a function of winning or losing. When you win, all of a sudden your culture is awesome. When you're losing, your culture isn't good. And, I mean, who in college football can be holier than thou about people misbehaving? Uh, Stuff like this happens and disappears all the time mysteriously in the NCAA. It's, I don't know, if – if this kid turns his life around and they're a better football program for it, who cares? Now, here's the other issue. He's a transfer, so in most circumstances, he would have to sit out a year. Oklahoma is going to try to apply to get him a waiver for him to play this year. Supposedly, there is some precedent for it being done. I reached out to Stuart Mandel, who is one of our friends on the podcast, and he's currently just posted his first ever article at his new job at Fox Sports. 
He says he's working on a very similar question to what I reached out. I asked him if he had any thoughts on DGB and what he thought Oklahoma's chances were of getting a waiver. Uh, His answer is this. Hey, Steve, I'm actually fielding a very similar mailbag question. I think it's very unlikely he'll get a waiver, but it doesn't hurt OU to try. I also asked him if he doesn't get a waiver, if he thinks that DGB will stick around Oklahoma, or if without football there's really just no chance for this kid. And he said there's no real, no real way of saying right now whether he sticks around. Whose choice would that be? Would be his. Okay. So he will work on that. You will work on that. We'll see what happens. We'll follow it over the summer. But I'm going to say, and maybe I'm being an Oklahoma uh, homer, homer yeah. but I just don't see the harm in it. Email me at sportscasters at gmail.com and tell me if you think different. All right. One last thing for me this week. Uh I know it sounds like I beat up on Derek Jeter sometimes. I really don't have a, a huge issue with the guy. But the MLB is at a weird point where ever since they ended that All-Star game in a tie, they decided to try to fix that by making the All-Star game relevant uh, as far as competition goes. And now, as everyone knows, uh, the winning team gets home field advantage in the World Series. Well, I mean... They're talking out both sides of their mouth a little bit here. Uh, If you want this to be an important competition that has stake, then you can't let the fans vote in Derek Jeter, who, despite having a farewell season and it's like a nice story, is having a terrible, well, terrible by his standards, season. He's batting about 279. He's got a couple home runs. Right, and the bizarre thing to this is it seems like nobody has issue with it. I mean, it's it's come up on other media outlets that he probably doesn't deserve to be there, but, I mean, this is just what happens. Yet last year, or was it two years ago at this point, Yassiel Puig was, it was, last year, yeah. was blasted. Like, no, this it's his career is too short. How can he possibly be an all-star? Well, if you want it to be a competition with the best players, then you got to have the best players in it and that's not Jeter this year if you want it to be just about celebrating the players then fine but take take the aspect of stop trying to pretend the game matters you know you're the only sport that tries to pretend that this all-star game matters it used to matter when Pete Rose was running over catchers in the all-star game guys cared about it then but they don't care now and dangling the carrot of home field advantage in the world series above their heads doesn't seem like it's made them care anymore uh Chopin, the radio, uh, in local radio here, had a cool idea. He gives out these crazy ideas sometimes that he knows will never probably fly, but they're cool ideas. He said, well, if you're going to let him in this year, let him in as long as fans vote him in. Even if he's been retired 10 years, if they vote him in, keep him on the ballot as long as he's voted in. And then once he's not voted in, he can never be in again. I don't have a problem with that. You know what I mean? If it's a game that's meaningless anyway. Can I get my thoughts on this? Sure. All right. I know the game didn't matter yet, but there is precedent for a guy like Jeter being With in the game. Cal Ripken. Cal Ripken Jr. Sure. played in the game in 2001 in his last season. He only batted uh, 239 that year. So he was even more Worse, right. done probably yeah. than Jeter is. And it's maybe the most memorable all-star moment he had a home of run. my life. Right, like, he had a home run in yeah. the game. Now, the game didn't as you it seems like your problem isn't necessarily that Jeter's in the game. No. More that Jeter's in a game that they're trying to say matters. Right, it's the pretending that it matters. Here's part. the thing about that though. Jeter is voted in as a starter, which means he's gonna start. Right. The uh, the manager of the team can still manage to win the game with Derek Jeter on the roster. Will he? 
He will. Derek Jeter is only going to play two or three innings anyway. Okay. And he's probably only going to get one, one or at two bat. at-bats. Right. And there's no reason to think Derek Jeter can't get one or two hits. Derek Jeter isn't to the point where he's totally effing the AL over in this. Right, right. He can easily hit a home run, hit a double, hit a single in the All-Star game without a problem. He, his skills aren't so degenerated right, that right. he is an embarrassment it's not like us being voted into the game. Yeah, my issue is more with the idea that the game matters. I, I mean, the game matters, and I think that they can still, the manager, whoever it is for the AL, can still manage the team to win the game with Derek Jeter as one of his 25. And by the way, another thing that happens is there's pitchers who are voted into this game who don't pitch because their managers set it up so they're because not available matter. that day. Oh, really? You know what I mean? Their managers make sure he pitches on Sunday so he can't Can't. play in the All-Star game on Tuesday so that he doesn't have to worry about his pitcher coming back needing Tommy John or something. Right. So there's a way, again, that So there's another way, game that it matters being manipulated. Sure. So I think this issue is way above Derek Jeter and probably it's not a good idea to have it. And I know you weren't. That's why I started. Right. I wasn't picking on him necessarily. He's not even having a horrible season. I think he's batting. He's batting about two eighty yeah, or something. Two seventy, two eighty. So it's it's not not bad at all, not really. But there's just guys out there. There probably, probably were other them. more deserving shortstops, but ultimately, I still do think that the AL is going to be okay and sure. still has a really good chance to win the game. Right. And they didn't last year, and the Red Sox had no problem winning the World Series. Yeah, that's what I would be curious about, too. And I'm sure it would be easy to look up, but how often does home field advantage matter? I don't think it's it, all about pitching. Yeah, I don't think baseball, it's a big anyway. deal. All right, so that's my one last thing. Real quickly, other than that, uh, it's my out song this week. Weird Al is releasing what maybe his last album. Uh, he's kind of in a weird situation like, like Pearl Jam was in not too long ago where his contract is up after this album. He... I doubt he ends up releasing more albums, but I can see him being like a presence on the internet because that's kind of where his fan base is anyway. So next week, Tuesday is his last album. Uh, what the heck is it called? Mandatory fun. So if you're into weird Al like I am, go get mandatory fun next Tuesday. They see me mowing my front lawn. That's my favorite MC. Keep your 40 out, just have an Earl Grey tea. My rims never spin to the contrary. You'll find it there quite stationary. All of my action figures and cherry. Stephen Hawking's in my library. My MySpace page is all totally pimped out. Got people begging for my top eight spaces. Yo, I know pie to a thousand places. Ain't got no grills, but I still wear braces. I order all of my sandwiches with mayonnaise. I'm a whiz, a minesweeper, I can play for days. Once you see my sweet moves, you're gonna stay amazed.